I still remember a young child, as a young child growing up in the church, we would sing this Christmas, I'm sorry, Easter <laughs> hymn. And like Christmas songs, this hymn became one of his familiar tune, but didn't really realize the power of those words and lyrics. Some of you remember this. Uh, Charles Wesley's hymn, written in 1739, Christ the Lord is risen today, alleluia, son of man and angels say, alleluia, raise your joys and triumphs high, Alleluia, sing ye heavens and earth, reply, Alleluia. And it goes on, hail the Lord of earth and heaven, praise to thee by both be given, thee we greet triumphant now, Alleluia, hail the resurrection thou, including you and me, Alleluia. Perhaps these words meaning, are meaningful to you. But some of us, well, actually most of us in some times, the words are stagnant, dull, ritualistic. What's a big deal? Easter Sunday, people go to, uh, you know, family gatherings, culturally Easter celebration might be there. Some of you, even today, will have get-togethers after the church. The question that comes to our mind this morning, why is this so important? Not the day, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And our, our culture is very similar to, the, to uh, 2,000 years ago, churches in Corinth, in the southern part of Greece. And the Corinthians asked the same question, what's the big deal? Because some believe there is a resurrection, some didn't believe resurrection. And I think that that's the beginning point maybe we could start in Philipp uh in writing to Corinthians, Paul the Apostle writes in verse 14, the first reason that he gives of many, he says this, if Christ has not been raised, our faith is in vain. The gospel and the claims of Jesus would be false that he was the Messiah, that he will raise, he will be risen in the third day. And that if that didn't, that didn't happen, what he did on the cross, supposedly dying on the cross for our sins, is invalid. And as a matter of fact, Christianity would be the biggest scam in the human history. So it is important. Secondly, Christ has not, if Christ has not been raised, we are still in our sins. 
And Good Friday would be no longer good. It would be a terrible, horrible Friday. Just a defeat of the Messiah who claimed to be merciful, suffering servant, died. And that end of it. And our sins are still with us. The death on the cross is often re, uh, referred to it as substitutionary atonement. Penal substitutionary of, of, of atonement. And that's a fancy word for somebody dying in our place for our penalty once for all. In the Old Testament, the, the blood of lamb, when they're going into the temple, and tabernacle, holy of holies, it was just a mere foreshadowing of what Christ will do once for all. And Christ did it. If Christ has not been risen, we still have our sins. Thirdly, Paul goes into verse 17 in the same chapter, 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. If Christ has not been raised, there is no hope facing death. Christians or not, and everyone face death, physical death. But the glorious truth that revolutionized those disciples who once were scared to death and then ran away from any type of persecution, 11 I should say 10 out of 12, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus, hanged himself, died. But the rest of 11 disciples, 10 of them chose martyrdom. Chose to be killed for their own faith. Some of them hanged, like Apostle Peter. Tradition tells us that he's, he was hung upside down by his own volition, that he is not worthy to die as Jesus, his master, did. Some of them were sown into half. Some of them beheaded. Some of them died in the hot oil. All kinds of gruesome things. But they did not refuse. I mean, they did not deny their own faith in the risen Christ. Fourthly, verse 19, Apostle Paul goes on, if Christ has not been raised, we are, not, we are to be most pitied. Why? Because we just went through 2 Corinthians, uh, which depicts so much of suffering and persecution Beatings, shipwrecks, starvation, and being thirsty, sleepless nights, Apostle Paul talked about. He did that for the sake of reason, Christ. And he's saying basically, if Christ has not been raised, instead of us 
having most hopeful future. Yes, it is most pity. We are the most unfortunately misguided people. Saying a little bit of caveat here, because I wonder the lukewarmness of our Christian Christianity in America sometimes, not excluding ourselves. In some sense, it's almost Christ has not been risen. Are we going to be pitied? Are we going to lose anything that because we're for the sake of Christ we have sacrificed something and chosen the life, a difficult life? And not so much. But at least in genuine faith, the people who strive to choose the values of God for the sake of Christ who have chosen to the unrich people group in far countries. I think of uh, uh, missionary Charles Lee who have chosen instead of retirement in his, his 74 he have chosen to Yucatan, Mexico, uh, in a hot summer. Day and night he will work with the children. One could say, yes, I do not believe in the resurrection of Christ. That's our choice. But we cannot say the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not that important. Before I go on to share about the impact of Jesus' resurrection that brought into the world all of us, I think we should clarify by resurrection just lest some of us who are familiar with the New Age movement to think that it's some type of a philosophical, conceptual concept of resurrection or resuscitation. We're not talking about somebody dying for a few, few minutes or a couple of hours and coming back alive. We're talking about resurrection in such a way that Jesus' body was imperishable body. His body was no longer mortal body, immortal body. There are at least four in this text. In Philippians, I mean, First Corinthians, fifteen, verses fifty through fifty-eight. At least four, and here's first impact. Well, before I go into that. I think this is important to, to mention that Tim Keller, uh, a pastor who works with um, young professionals, many of them in a uh, metropolitan the New York, Wall Streets and whatnot, and he writes this poignant words for all of us. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. 
If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. That's why it is important. The four impacts that Jesus' resurrection has brought to the world, here's the first one. The resurrection of Jesus brought also the future resurrection of body to all believers in the risen Christ. When you think about Easter, Christ has risen. Uh, when you think about Jesus rose, oh, okay, maybe, maybe so. But what has it got to do with me? Because of believers in God's word. This is incredible. But lasting hope that God provides for each true believer in the reason Christ. Jesus' resurrection is not an incident that is all by itself. Jesus' resurrection is referred to is referred to as, in the, in the scripture, first fruit. There's only one person who has a resurrected body, Jesus himself, as the Messiah. But on that day, our body will experience, if you are a believer in risen Christ, our bodies will be resurrected as well. Verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this imperishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body put on, must put on immortality. What's he saying? It's basically this. Kingdom of God is lasting forever. It's not just a 50 more years, 100 more years. In order to participate, in order to live in the kingdom of God, you need a body that doesn't perish. So even if I care for my body, just imagine that. After 50 years or, or so, my body will decay. I'll die. And with this body... You cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So big picture is this. When God sent his son to give eternal life to everyone, to dying on the cross for our sins, the spiritual death, which is separation from God, when we receive Christ, that spiritual death has been taken care of. 
But there are two more deaths. What, what is the two more deaths? Physical deaths, our bodies being separated from, from our spirit. Everybody goes through that. And then when we get to judgment seat of Christ, we will experience without Christ, because of judgment, everybody is sinful, we will experience second death. Very similar uh, 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 popular word for that is hell. So when you think about, I believe in Christ. I go to church now. I claim my faith and Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I now have a new life. But you will physically die. And our, our spiritual state is not the eternal kingdom. The final enemy that Jesus, I mean, Apostle Paul calls death our last enemy to, to be destroyed. When does it happen? When Jesus comes back in a split second, in twinkling of an eye. So think about it, how, how you twinkle yourself <laughs> and I, our body will be resurrected if you belong to Christ. And some of you, maybe you used to go to church, and it's been a while that you read Bible, and then you come back this, this morning and listen to this. Is that really what Christians believe? Yes. This is the eternal truth. God's word speaks to us that Jesus' resurrection will be our resurrection as well. What an impact. Impact number two is similar, but you know, the second coming of Jesus Christ. In Thessalonians chapter four, Paul describes it this way, that moment that he uh, mentioned in First Corinthians 15. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The dead in Christ will rise first. Many of you miss someone and you probably still grieve. But if they were Christian, they will be raised first. My grandma, who's been biggest impact on my Christian faith ever since I was a little kid. My father, my dad, who was a physician and became supportive, but yet he was agnostic all his life. After the retirement, in his 70s, at the bare last minute, he, was, he received and got baptized. 
My memories of him are several different kinds. But in my last memory and my dreams, I see this, my dad being childlike. He was always a serious, you know, you know, most doctors would do, but he has a sense of presence. Every, every time big family gathering, he comes in, kids will be just quiet because he, he has that kind of presence. He didn't have to say anything. But instead of that image to me, childlike, my dad says, big smile. I'm thankful for those dreams because on that day, the dead will be, dead will rise again first in Christ. In verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. If we don't die physically until Jesus returns, what Paul is saying, we will not even experience physical death. Impact number two, the resurrection of Jesus brought the victory over death, our at last enemy. The victory over death is can be described as the death of death. Because of his victory, death is finished. That applies to all believers in, in the risen Christ. Verse 54, when the perishable puts, puts on the imperishable and the more the, the, mortal, the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death is our last enemy. Maybe some of you are just terribly worried about loved ones who are being seen, sick. And I think about my brother, who's only just a couple of years older than me, but he's on dialysis, and he um, has a speech impediment. He's stable, but I sometimes feel very afraid. In a strange, in a strange way, even before, even more than my dad's, my own dad's passing over twenty years, twenty some years ago. My brother's health became a just, just difficult thing to think about. Some of your loved ones have a cancer. And some of your loved ones might not last long. And we face our own death, don't we? 
One thing that I like to present to each one of you, if I am to be true pastor to every single one of you, I need to present this reality of death first. Reality of death is inescapable. But in our culture, kind of beautified of course it's just kind of painful to even say he died or he's dead we use the word he passed away she passed away when you go to funeral There's a slideshow of that wonderful celebration of his or her life. And nothing wrong with that. But there is a tendency in our own heart that we are so uncomfortable to face the finality of death. This person is dead. Period. And I will someday die. Period. The hope of Easter is that death is no more for those who believe in Christ, the risen Christ. Along with Apostle Paul and this Old Testament illusion, we could say, Oh, that, where is your sting? Where is your victory? You have no power over me any longer because of Christ has won the victory. I might die physically, but he will rise me, raise me up into the resurrected body, imperishable body. I think this is Precisely why I pray for those loved ones in my family. That they might have this hope before they face the reality of death. And if you are sitting in this morning... The Sovereign Lord has brought you here, I believe. To face that, the most important question in your life, am I sure about death? Will I face Jesus with the resurrected body? Or will I face death? The eternal damnation of second death. A couple of days ago on Good Friday night, we meditate on Jesus' last word. It is finished. Our work can never be added to what Christ has done. Every work 
for our salvation has been done by Jesus. That is the great news, the gospel. And the death no longer has power over believers, all believers in the risen Christ. The third impact is this. The resurrection of Jesus brought an irrevocable reason for steadfast, immovable faith to all believers in the risen Christ. First, two impact is a positional issues. If you are in Christ, those impact will happen supernaturally on us, on you, without any divided ways, anything like that. But last two impacts is actually how we live. And if we stay on the, on the road of disobeying, we will miss this impact. You see that? The, the, there is an irrevocable reason on our faith to be steadfast, immovable. In other words, if you really think about what, like Tim Keller said, right? If Christ has really reason, and I believe that, and that faith will take you anywhere else. Even in the most terrible, tragic incidents that you might ever think of. Something terrible happens to your life. Something terrible happens to your children. But you could stand before God and say, Blessed be the Lord, name of the Lord. The risen Christ has won the victory for me. And I'll face him with the shouts of joy. The temporary sufferings will not keep me down. That's the whole thing. Because Christ's suffering and death has replaced 10,000 more with his victory of joy. When you think about, do I really believe this? Am I wish-washy about my faith? But if you're clear about the resurrection of Christ, and if you receive him with all your heart, I'm not saying it will cancel your debts, that your debt you have, solve your teenage problems, solve your marital problems, your business to go well. I'm not saying all that. But even if without fixing any of those things, the fundamental thing about your life has been set on the foundation, lasting foundation. In a way, without solving any problem, you have solved the problem. 
Because this eternity, compared to our temporary life, is incomparable. So today is the day that we revisit our own faith, our depth of our heart, and say, Lord Jesus, I believe your resurrection for me. I believe your victory over death for me. And my life is no longer mine. I live for you in my life. I invite you to live in and through me. That faith. Oh, I need to see our church wake up to this. My own family. I, we, do, we do have a, you know, past few weeks we, we experienced a lot of problems in our church around families. Our son's going through so many things and just thinking about my son's driving. That's scary. <laughs> Impact number four. This is once again the first two is already done to us. And the third and fourth one, we might miss if we don't pay attention, if we don't live by faith. The resurrection of Jesus brought also compelling motivation for passionate work of the Lord to all believers in the risen Christ. The same verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Lest we think that, oh, this refers to those missionaries and pastors and the people who, you know, full-time Christian workers. This replies to every single believer in the risen Christ. Why? Because the work of the Lord is different. It has to be distinguished from work for the Lord. Work of the Lord is Lord's work. Work for the Lord is my work for the Lord. It's a very di different concept. So if we are not careful we might think that this is what the Lord wants in, in, for in my life and I strive so hard and do everything and I work for the Lord. In reality, when the judgment seat comes on the day of judgment, we are evaluated by Lord's will. And some of them will be burnt away, almost not wood and hay. So this is actually encouragement and warning for people like me or people who are serious in their own ministry thinking that this must be what God wants. It's simply put, 
the work of the Lord is what Jesus was doing in, on this earth to bring the glory to God, to bring the expansion of God's reign, God's kingdom here. That's why this is applicable to every single one of us. So when you go back to work tomorrow, you have work of the Lord. What, what does it mean to, to do work of the Lord? Abounding. Not just merely doing it, but abounding. You live your changed life. You live with joy. You live, live with the aroma of Christ. So that the name of Christ will be exalted. And they will be praising the Lord because of you. They will be interested in the gospel because of you. That is the work of the Lord. And yes, if we become increasingly more interest, interested in work of the Lord, we will feel the passion of God, the heartbeat of God for the poor, for the marginalized, for the lost, rather than our own affluence and comfort. Yes, that's work of the Lord. Serving behind the scene, namelessly, without any limelight on you, no recognition, no clapping. That could be also work of the Lord. But just to just to be clear that it is not referring to religious work only. And even if you, you are continually living quietly, without the religious sayings in front of you. If your life draws others to the glory of God and you become light and salt, that is the work of the Lord. Would you agree? If every single believer in the United States begin to be serious in abounding the work of the Lord, our nation will change. Instead of thinking about someone else, instead of thinking about some government officials or some people, even in, including the na name of the famous church or Christian leaders, we, as Christ follower, who has experienced the risen Savior and Christ, we are to live in abounding work of the Lord. Adam Clark writes this, <clears throat> the work of the Lord is obedience to his holy word. Every believer in Christ is a workman of God. He that works not to bring the glory to God and good to men is not acknowledged as a servant of Christ. And if he be not a servant, he's not a son. If he not a, if, and if not a son, then not an heir. And he must not only work, but abound in that work, ever exceeding his former self. And this, 
not for, for a time, but always, beginning, continuing, and ending every, every act of life to God's glory and the good of his fellows. Brothers and sisters, we have a call in this Resurrection Sunday. The call from the risen Savior is not only be firm in our faith that the death has no longer sting against us, that we shall be changed in a twinkling of our eye and we shall be resurrected, yes, but also we pour out our life and be passionate and living like as salt and light of the world in bringing the maximum glory to God. God becomes a center rather than some ways means to our center. then we shall experience the power of reason Savior. That His Spirit will give us power. You will feel supernatural power to do certain things. For example, to forgive some people that you could not have forgiven with your strength. God will give you courage and gifts that you necessary, you need to serve in a way that take risks even in the coming Saturday, working with the refugee kids with the art project called the Little Brush Strokes, that you will be just joyful by obeying. And some of us tasted a little bit and preparing to go to Thailand, this medical short-term mission trip. Maybe some of us need to start praying for about Yucatan, Mexico. But let's begin with this. Um, in closing, this hymn, another old hymn in 1865, written by Elvina Hall, um, I think has a good reminders of our response as we respond. And she writes, I hear the sa Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. This could be a reality in your life today, this morning. You open your heart and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Lord Jesus, thank you for your suffering and death and your resurrection. And not only for the kingdom of God, but you became the first fruit that we might be also be resurrected with the imperishable body 
on that day when you return, each one of us anticipate our, our bodies will be changed in, a, in the twinkling of an eye that we will no longer face death and we will no longer struggle with sin. And then our final enemy, death and sin, has been put away and because of you. And we pray for each one of those people who raise their hand about their salvation, about their relationship with Christ, that your Holy Spirit, you will open their eyes and open their pathway and tangible ways to even talking to some Christians next to them. That they will experience full assurance in Jesus Christ. That their faith might be just solid and, and steadfast. And that you will begin a new work in their life with the fruits of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, and peace. And they will experience encouragement for them this, from the Spirit. And Father, I pray that they will express their commitment to you publicly with the people close nearby very soon and join the fellowship with other brothers and sisters to live this life together. I also pray for the several people who raised their hand for the, for the steadfast, immovable faith and passionate, abounding in the work of the Lord to, to do your will and your, your, as if, Lord Jesus, you live in and through us to bring in glory rather than just being a secular-minded Sunday Christian every day. Help us to live out the life of Christ in and through us. I pray for them. That you will give them renewal and, and filling of the Holy Spirit. They will experience the supernatural power of the Spirit. Even today, as they see the, the loved ones, as they relate to the people in the street and, and as they drive, they will begin to experience the wonderful power of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. So sustain them, Lord. Revive our church and revive the Christians in this room that we might be the salt and the light of the world. We give you praise and honor for the work that you have done and for the word you have given this Sunday that we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.